You're listening to DraftKings Network. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We're produced by Jack Connell, musical producer. That music you hear is from my travel partner over the past week in Germany, Sam Brandt, Boy Blue Tunes. You'll find his music. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. As I just mentioned, I am just back from Frankfurt, Germany. I experienced the NFL in Germany weekend, actually one of two. This coming weekend, the Patriots and Colts play in the same stadium, in the same venue, as the Chiefs and Dolphins played last week. I'm going to get into that, tell you all about my impressions, why I was there, what has changed over these many years. I'll talk about American football overseas in general and the way I see it going forward. We'll do a lot of that. I also want to talk about... some new records being set in terms of salary and pay in college basketball and in baseball. We'll talk about this complicated but important bankruptcy of Diamond Sports Group and televising all these regional sports networks. I'll talk a little more about the trade deadline in the NFL with what happened with those defensive linemen last week. I touched on it last week with Montez Sweat. There's been an update. We'll talk about that. All of this ahead in a Branch Rants edition of the business of sports is I try to give you a unique and differentiated podcast every week with my insights and perspectives gleaned from 30 years in the business. Try to be a thought leader for you to learn from and share this with friends and give us ratings on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Really appreciate that. Okay, let's get right to it. I got a call a few months ago, actually, from Oliver Luck. People know Oliver Luck for being Andrew's father, and for all his accomplishments, which have included being the number two man at the NCA, the West Virginia athletic director, being consultant with so many colleges about their NIL, about their moves to different conferences. And of course, Oliver was one of the primary voices in NFL Europe back when it started. I was with the World League when it first began. It was called the World League, not NFL Europe. I was general manager of the Barcelona Dragons. Oliver was general manager of the Frankfurt Galaxy. And he called me a couple months ago. He says, hey, we're going to gather. We're going to get everyone together. The World League, the NFL Europe, NFL Europa, the whole gang, or anyone who can make it, in Germany. And guess what? We're going to do it around the Chiefs-Dolphins game. And, you know, the way I am with life being about experiences as much as anything and trying to get my kids together and try to get my boys to come. I got one to come. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. I'm coming. I'm coming to Germany. That's a good excuse to have a World League reunion to see the NFL in Germany. I had never seen an NFL international game, London, Germany, Mexico. I'd never done that. Now, I was involved with the Barcelona Dragons 31 years ago, but that was different. That was the first iteration of the NFL overseas And boy, was that difficult. I've talked about it many times just to review. 
some of the challenges slash obstacles that I faced as general manager of the Barcelona Dragons in trying to sell American football to that audience. Let's just go through them. Number one, I walk out, they're putting up the goalposts in the corners of the end zone. By the way, those end zones, because of the configuration of the field, were seven, maybe seven and a half yards deep. They weren't 10-yard end zones, but whatever, that's the best we could do. I had to bribe customs to get our equipment out of customs. Uh, the uniforms were ruined every time they did laundry. The feet flopped over on every bed for the players. They didn't have beds big enough for us at any hotel. So I put night tables with each with pillows at the end of each bed. Um, what else? Players didn't understand the language. It was pre-internet. There were psychological issues we had to deal with. And of course, the fans, they cheered at all the wrong times. They did the wave the entire game long. They did the Olay song the entire game long. And the fan committee that I had telling us what we did, they liked, what they didn't like, really harped on the meetings, like, Andrew, please, no more meetings. And I kept saying, what do you mean meetings? And they said, huddles. We don't like them. You know, they, they were huddles. They didn't know what to call them, but they, they referred to them as meetings. I went to our coach, Jack McNell. Hey, they don't like meetings. What are meetings? Huddles? Screw them. You know, we run huddles. So that was the constant push and pull. It was an adventure, not a job back then. But we heard and saw briefly when we played there, Frankfurt and London having much more success. And then, of course, through the years, Barcelona was not in the other in, in successful in successive iterations of the World League and NFL Europe, Bar Barcelona was not there. There was a time Germany had three teams, Rhine, Frankfurt, and Berlin. Uh, there were teams in Amsterdam, Edinburgh, all over. But, of course, Barcelona never lasted. So when I went over to the game this weekend, I wanted to see how much advancement has there been in terms of the crowd, in terms of the understanding of American football. And in many ways, it was obviously much more sophisticated, right? Many, they understood the game. There was no cheering at the wrong times. There was appreciation for the big plays. In this case, the biggest play of the game was Tyreek Hill catching the ball, fumbling the ball, the Chiefs recovering the ball, and then lateraling for a long touchdown return. The game was 21-0 in the first half, and then the Dolphins had the second half and we're driving to tie it and it kind of ended fizzled. But yeah, there was a huge understanding and that was there. The, the similarities, remembering the Barcelona crowd way back when, and by the way, our crowd was 15,000 compared to 50,000 the other day, um, was just the, the appreciation of American football, but as a diversion. I felt it again in Frankfurt a diversion more than a hardcore interest. And I know these things are hard to generalize and stereotype, but I just felt like the crowd in Germany was like, yeah, this is good, but mainly we're here for the party. And that was Barcelona 30 years ago. We're here for the party, right? We're here for the party. Obviously a lot of beer, a lot of smoking, which is much different than America. There's a lot of smoking over there um, and just fun. What seemed to get the bigger reactions were the video board, which is basically a fraction of the size of American stadiums, showing these games like follow the the, helm, the football under the helmet to pick which helmet it ends up under. 
Um, and again, those games get a reaction at any American stadium, but it just seemed like a bigger reaction there. And then the full-throated singing, full-throated. And I know we do this at other stadiums too, but it was full-throated. I looked around and everyone just screaming out songs like Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, Hey, Hey, Baby. <laughs> that was a big one. And then, of course, Country Roads, Take Me Home was uh, just powerful singing about West Virginia from the Frankfurt audience. And again, I have a home in West Virginia. I get it. But like, wow. Okay. Um, And then the sort of confused and bewildered looks at some of the intricacies of the game, like the offsetting penalties. I looked around, people like, what? And ineligible man downfield, people like, what? Illegal motion, what? And it brings me to the the point of all this, which is that, listen, the NFL is clearly the most popular and prosperous league in the world. And it's way ahead of the other sports in this country, but it's, it's borders are limited. Soccer and basketball are much more international and even baseball and hockey than American football because American football, let's face it, not for the audience that's listening to me, but for a lot of people, it's hard. It's a difficult game to understand for the uninitiated. American football is not as easy to digest as soccer or basketball or hockey or baseball. It's got all these rules and it's got all, you know, you got to have, I mean, even I understand, I don't get some of this stuff. Where is the, is the receiver covered by the lineman? Can the tight end be off the line? Can the receiver be on? I mean, who knows this stuff? So I still sensed more than watching games in American stadiums that there was just some more entertainment aspect to this American game than anything else. And that brings me to what I see the future as, listen, these one-off games will sell out as this one did. No problem. Of course, this one, Chiefs Dolphins sold out in a matter of minutes. And then this weekend, Colts Patriots that sold out, they sell out the three games in London. As long as you keep doing it that way, sure. It's a novelty. It's a diversion. If they go to Spain, it'll sell out. If they go to Brazil, it'll sell out. If they go to Australia, it'll sell out. If they go to Asia, it'll sell out. But any kind of um, recurring embeddedness, if you will, of the NFL overseas, I don't see it. I don't see it because I still think it's a diversion. It's it's secondary to soccer, just like soccer is secondary here. And what I see happening is not an international team. Sorry, Jaguars. You're not getting a team. You're not going to be in London. But I do see an international schedule, and I don't think we're far from that. I see an international schedule where you have the three games in London, maybe one or two in Germany, maybe Spain, maybe Brazil, maybe Australia, maybe Asia, maybe Mexico, maybe Canada. And that's eight games. And it works out perfectly because guess what? Now with a 17-game schedule, the AFC this year has nine home games. And the NFC next year has nine home games. And they would alternate every year. So the way you do it is you have an international schedule. You have all the AFC teams in a year like this playing an overseas game. And you have all the NFC teams the next year playing an an uh, international game. So then we have competitively balanced where every team goes over every other year. And there's no pulling teams, 
kicking and screaming like you do now. And there's no Jaguars getting a game anytime they want it because there are not enough teams or even the Chiefs who seem to want to do this more and more. So I just think that's where we have to go because the name of the game for the NFL is competitive balance. And everyone talks about these overseas games. Everyone has to do it every other year. Eight games. We're at five now. We're, we can get to eight, I think, in the next couple of years. So with 17-game schedule, it makes so much sense. Have an international schedule every year with either the AFC or the NFC, depending on who's got the nine home games, playing in it. Okay, that's my future of NFL International. In terms of the game itself, the you know it was Chiefs everywhere. The Chiefs outnumbered the Dolphins fans, I think, by like three to one, four to one, five to one. Chiefs fans were everywhere, and boy, did I see a lot of drunk Chiefs fans. Passed out in our hotel a couple times. Uh, I saw some drunk Dolphins fans, too. In terms of the team jersey beyond those two, it was probably Packers. Yeah, you know my Packers. They're ubiquitous worldwide. In terms of individual jerseys, most ubiquitous besides... Mahomes and Tua and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, probably Aaron Rodgers, Packers, or Tom Brady, Patriots, sort of two players that don't play for those teams anymore. Saw some eclectic jerseys, Gronkowski, Tampa, Alex Smith, um, Washington. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I saw some interesting stuff. And again, the drinking, the smoking, much more accepted over there. The, the people falling down drunk, as I said, they were tourists. They were not the Germans. Um, you know, Frankfurt's not a, not a gorgeous city. Frankfurt is a business city, home of banking. And, you know, it's nice that they had it there. I think that Germany will look to a more sort of picturesque city in the future, such as Berlin, such as Munich, where they had it last year. But it's not ugly. It's just, you know, and again, I was in a situation where it was cold and rainy all weekend. Great to have my son. We had a great time. Um, Loved it. Okay. That's my experience in NFL in Germany, part one. That was last weekend. Uh, Travel's a little tough. Getting back, going there is fine. Going there is really the same as going to Seattle. It's like six hours. But coming back against the headwinds, eight plus, a little tough, all daylight. All right. Speaking of the NFL, the trading deadline, I talked about this last week when the deadline happened, but let's follow up. The the interesting trades were the defensive linemen, all of them in expiring contracts. And I I hit on Montez Sweat last week. I'll follow it up this week. First, the Leonard Williams deal was a real money ball deal. So Seattle gets Leonard Williams. They give up a second round pick, but the Giants pay the deal. So all but minimum salary is paid for by the Giants, so $9 million, basically. They paid Leonard Williams as a parting gift to leave. Now, the Seahawks only get him for half the season unless they re-sign him, and they give up a second-round pick. But they're not paying Williams but for minimum. So basically, you look at it as $9 million for a second-round pick. That's the going rate. Sure, Williams is a bonus for a few games, but basically, the Seahawks paid a second round pick uh, to get $9 million off their hands, you know, get a really good player for free almost. Interesting, interesting, you know, just kind of a money ball trade. We saw this way back in the day with Brock Eisweiler, who uh, Cleveland uh, acquired with, for $17 million guaranteed, but they also got a second round pick. 
this is sort of where it's going with some of these trades, like like NBA trades with expiring contracts with some value. The Chase Young thing is interesting because it's compensatory third round pick. The Rooney rule revision for people that don't know is you reward teams like the 49ers that develop either coaches or management. They've done both with D'Amico Ryans and Rand Carthon. This was, I was told it was linked to Rand Carthon. Rand was developed in the player personnel department in San Francisco, ascended to general manager of the Titans. The 49ers for that development, the Rooney rule augmentation, they get a third round compensatory. That's the pick being used to acquire Chase Young, again, an expiring contract. But basically, in so many ways, they traded Rand Carthon for Chase Young, and we'll see if they retain Chase Young. Again, I don't bash the 49ers like I did the Bears for getting a player on an expiring contract because they're in a stretch run for the title. And of course, it's a basically a high fourth, whereas the Bears are getting to Montez Sweat, as I talked about last week, a high second round pick may end up being 38, 37 in the draft for half a year of sweat. Now they have re-up sweat. He got 98 million over four with an extension. He make he comes into the top five in defensive end pay, which is the second highest position group pay in the league behind quarterback. So he's up there with Miles Garrett, with Joey Bosa, with TJ Watt, um, and of course, Nick Bosa. So this is a massive deal. Is Sweat worth it? Well, because they gave up so much, because they need him signed, because they don't want to use the franchise tag next year because they want to use it on Jalen Johnson, he got it. So I think Sweat had enormous leverage. Could Sweat have gotten more in free agency? Maybe. But it looks like to me the Bears paid retail just to get this done, not a price where you would think they can pay when they have them under contract already. So again, I'm not letting up on the Bears. I think they overpaid here. I don't think Sweat is in a top five in that position. Uh, But the fact they gave up a high second round pick, they had to. And once they didn't get it done as a companion contract to the trade, they were stuck. They were stuck. So the Bears have him under contract, great. It's an overpay, unless he plays like Nick Bosa or, you know, Miles Garrett or TJ Watt. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, two standards set in pay. In college basketball, Kansas rewards Bill Self with a contract averaging $9.4 million, easily breaks the barrier that John Calipari of Kentucky had at $8.5 million, what a deal for Bill Self, who, by the way, <clears throat> they've had penalties there. for They've vacated wins in the 2017-18 season. They've had an infractions investigation against them, and they're on probation. Not that they can't go to the tournament, but that's interesting. But Self gets the money. $9.4 million, the new record for college basketball. In baseball, Craig Council, the manager of the Brewers, says, I'm out and I'm going to the Cubs, who, by the way, had a manager, which no longer, of course, David Ross, see ya. And he gets five years, 40 million, 88 million average, the highest for Major League Baseball manager. And of course, when asked why he went to the Cubs over the Brewers, he gave some crazy answer, which really comes down to, can you believe how much they're paying me? So now we have barriers broken in these two sports for self and for council. 
Uh, and dad joke alert, they both had excellent self-counsel. Okay, sorry about that. One thing that I want to talk about as well is agents. A lot of young people are asking about getting into the agent business. There's news that there's consolidation in the industry. Excel, which is one of the big sports management firms, has purchased, acquired Rep One. Rep One is a sports agency I know well. I did a lot of deals with them when I was with the Packers, Ryan Tolner. They represent Jared Goff. Uh, they represent uh, Cooper Cup. And now they're being absorbed by Excel. Now, Excel does represent Peyton and Eli Manning and Justin Herbert, but those are marketing only. So they haven't had the contract negotiations part of it, and now they do. And this is the trend. CAA has bought up agencies in all sports. Octagon has. Wasserman has. This is the trend. And the sports agency business has gotten more consolidated. And what's happening is these big companies have resources to get these players involved in a lot of different things and to give them training, to give them money, and to take lower fees, especially for rookies coming in. This is where I feel for young and solo agents, because usually they can get these young players uh, who are low-round picks, who are undrafted, and then they these players become big-time players. And lo and behold, when they're about to get the big money of the second contract, they lose them. They lose to the big agencies because the big agencies can offer them more. <clears throat> it's frustrating. Anyone wanting to get in the agent business, this is something you have to know. These small-time agents do well at some level, but holding on to these players before their second contract, when it's always going to be recruitment from the CAAs, from the Octagons, from the Wassermans, and now Excel Management getting into the sports football business, which they hadn't been in before, they're in baseball, <clears throat> they're in basketball big time, but now football, buying rep one. Last issue is a little technical. Bankruptcy court, Diamond Sports Group bought these regional sports networks, has been showing these games for multitude of NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball teams. Well, they're in trouble. Because of cord cutting, because of carriage fees, they, it hasn't been a good business. Diamond Sports Group has declared bankruptcy. And it's long and involved, and I won't bore you with the details, but something came out of it this week. Like, they've agreed they're going to broadcast all these NBA uh, regional sports networks this year, then they're out. So out of the bankruptcy court proceedings, what they've done, what they've settled with the judge is, okay, they're in with all these teams. Even though they dropped some baseball teams, excuse me, they're in with the NBA, but only through this year. So what's happening is pick your favorite NBA team. They have a regional deal, except the Suns and Jazz already backed out last year. They're done with them. But 15 NBA teams have deals with Diamond Sports through their regional sports networks. That'll be done next year. And the key why it's important is next year is when the NBA media deals expire, national media with TNT and ESPN, and everybody knows that's going to be the big next thing in media deals with all the players jumping in. Of course, ESPN and TNT want to keep it. Amazon's going to jump in, try to get a, like a Thursday night football, another night of NBA. We're going to see um, NBC rumored to be interested, just like the old days when they had the NBC, NBC on NBA, NBA, <clears throat> NBA on NBC. So we're going to see all this bidding. And now you have the local properties. So after this year, 
they're up for bid too. They're up for bid too. So that adds to the value what the NBA is going to be offering. So it's really a brilliant move by the NBA. They get DSG to continue the regional sports networks this season, which already started. And then they can use that as inventory for these massive media deals where they're trying to get up to 75 billion deals, not the 100 billion the NFL got, but if they can get 75 billion total media over 10 years or whatever it is, good for them. Wow. Okay. Hope you learned. Hope you listened. Definitely check out the newsletter if you're not. Andrew-Brandt.com is how you get it. Sports Business League for these kind of videos and meetings every week. We have one tonight. Go to sportsbusinessleague.com. Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2 where I have pictures of my trip with my son to Germany. Uh, and of course, Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Give us a rating if you would. Share it with your friend if you want to support the podcast. Andrew Dash, <clears throat> excuse me. If you want to support the podcast, Andrew Dash Brandt Dash 20. And thanks to Jack Connell. Thanks to Sam Brandt, Boy Blue Tunes, our music under us. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.